0: Corinthians chapter 14. We are continuing in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This is the ninth sermon in the series. We've begun talking about the gifts this morning. We'll be talking about the gift of tongues. Ooh, you're supposed to go, ooh. Last week we talked about the gift of prophecy. Now, there's so much more to learn about the gift of prophecy than I could possibly teach you guys on a Sunday morning. So, Coming up soon, we're going to be offering a class on the gift of prophecy, how to move in the prophetic gifts and also intercession and the way that those intersect. So those will be starting Tuesday nights at our Carpentry and Ventura campus um, on August 20th, and then Friday nights at the Santa Barbara offices on August 23rd. So those will be at 7 p.m. in the evening, taught by some of the ladies in our class who uh, I really look up to in that area of prophecy and intercession. They've taught me a lot. So those would be great classes for those of you who want to learn to move more in those sort of gifts. We'll have more information coming up. 1 Corinthians 14, if you're already there, let's pray and get into it. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who is always reminding us of how much you love us, who is always leading us back to the cross, And Christ's finished work on it, by which we are justified and accepted before you. Through which we belong to you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who reminds us of those things. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts that we might live faithful and fruitful lives with supernatural power for the glory of Jesus in a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is always catching us up into the things of God. Holy Spirit, we ask for no less this morning. You would catch us up into these beautiful things of God. We rejoice that the Father has good gifts for us, including the gift of tongues. Please, Holy Spirit, teach us about this. Give us ears and a heart to hear, and please anoint me to communicate these wonderful truths in a way that's faithful to you and helpful to your people. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we should just be honest and say at the outright, if we're going to talk about the gift of tongues, that the gift of tongues is creepy. You know what I mean? It's like, and I don't mean creepy bad. Like there's creepy bad and there's creepy good. I mean creepy good, but still creepy. I mean, it's just strange that the Holy Spirit would enable us to speak in a different language that we don't comprehend with our mind, with words that we aren't cognizantly forming, and that it means something to God. It's just one of those weird, interesting things. And because of that, the New Testament devotes an entire chapter to the interplay between the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, sort of juxtaposing one another so that we might be educated about both. Now, that is not true about any other of the spiritual gifts. None of them have a whole chapter dedicated to them. That pretty much lets us know that these gifts are lightning rod gifts and have always been within the church. If we're going to be honest, we must confess that the gift of prophecy that we talked about last week and the gift of tongues that we're speaking about now are often the most misused in the church, sometimes abused by the church, occasionally overemphasized, oftentimes ostracized, sometimes obsessed about, and other times despised. And what's interesting is we don't see that sort of polarizing um, activity with any other gift. Right? It's not like that with the gift of healing. It's not like too many people are getting healed in the church, and we're like, whoa, 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 reel it in, dude. Too many people getting healed. We've got to slow this thing down and rethink it, right? That's not happening. It's not like that with the gift of administration, like, whoa, there's too much supernatural administration going on. We need to put a chill on it. Right? It's like that with the gift of prophecy and with tongues, hence 1 Corinthians 14, the chapter dedicated to it. The other thing, if we were to be honest about these two gifts, is we'd have to say this. They are, and this isn't true of any of the other gifts, they're easily faked, easily counterfeited. So that's why we're taking a week to talk about each one of them. Now, we must say at the outset that within reality, the church, and the reality churches, there is variance in thought about the gift of prophecy. We don't all in this church, and even among the leadership, we don't all agree in all the details and the minutiae about the gift of prophecy. And I want to say that that is okay. Okay, that, 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 that leeway and that freedom to think differently, though being faithful to Scripture, is part of what makes reality, reality. We aren't into homogeneity or being homogenous, right? We aren't into majoring in the minors and making a big deal about these things. The gift of tongues is nothing that we would ever divide over. It's nothing that we would ever disparage one another about, right? Amongst ourselves or with other churches. We would never look at other churches that have a different view on the gift of tongues and say, well, we don't want to have anything to do with you. That would be ridiculous. We would never do that with an issue. Yeah, praise God if you want to. That's cool. We just wouldn't do that. We must realize that within the body of Christ, unity does not require homogeny. Rather, unity recognizes diversity and chooses to obey a greater claim. The greater claim is, is the identity and person and finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross who is risen from the dead, rules and reigns, and is coming again. We are united as one under that truth. And that truth is big enough to keep us united when all the secondary issues are afforded some leeway. Now, having said that, we must also be honest that there is, with the gift of tongues, a fair degree of fear and anxiety within the church. But I would just say, and I hope you get that out of this teaching, that that's not necessary. Scripture is clear. Scripture is always true, and Scripture is beautiful in what it portrays about this gift. And we can trust God when it comes to His Word and His gifts. It is strange when people obsess about or magnify the gift of tongues because we don't really see Scripture handling it in that way. Jesus himself only ever mentioned tongues one time. Okay, in the list of the gifts that are given at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, tongues is the very last of those listed other than interpretation. And then in the subsequent list that comes later toward the end of chapter 12, tongues is the very last gift mentioned. And then in the book of Acts, which encompasses 30 years of church history, there's only three mentions of the gift of tongues. And then in all of the epistles that we have in the New Testament, only one of them mentions the gift of tongues. It is the book of Corinthians, and only in three chapters. And there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. So it's not that enormous of a deal. It's good and wonderful and beautiful, but it's strange to elevate it to this place of extreme importance. Now, having said those things, let's define the gift. What is the gift of tongues? Here's a definition. The gift of tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to pray or to praise God, pray to or praise God, in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. Okay, The spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray to or praise God in a way that is not comprehended by the mind or in a, and in a language that was not previously known by the person. A couple of references, sort of flesh that out. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. So says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay, so it's not a natural thing. It's nothing that we muster up or manufacture. It's a supernatural thing given to us by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 4.14. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, okay, spirit. My spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. So it is an enabling by the Holy Spirit wherein the spirit of a person prays to God or praises God in a way that bypasses the mind and isn't comprehended by the one functioning in the gift. Now, why would this be? This would be because there are times in the child of God when there is a burden in our soul to pray something or say something or praise God in a way that we simply do not have words for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are our moments in the life of the child of God where we want to say something, pray something, or praise God in a way that we simply do not have words for? And, and, and it, might, it goes even deeper. It might not just be that we don't have words for it. It might be that we don't even have the cognizance for it that we don't even have the mental ability for, that we can't even think in terms of this burden within our soul that wants to communicate to God, but is beyond us. Romans chapter 8 is getting at this in verses 26 and 27, where it says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, that passage may or may not be referring to tongues and prayer languages. That's debatable, but the salient point is this are times in life where we want to communicate to God, but we need help. It is beyond our words or it's beyond our mental capacity to do so. When my daughter died almost six months ago, you know, for the longest time, I, I had no idea what to pray. I had tremendous emotion and feeling about it and toward God, but I had no words and no mental capacity for so long. I didn't know what to pray. And, and when, I, when I wanted to approach God, I would just groan before him. Maybe that's the help of the Holy Spirit being alluded to here. Here's another example that gets more down to prayer languages and, and the gift of tongues. When Daisy was first diagnosed with cancer almost four years ago, we went to the hospital for her first chemotherapy treatment. And believe it or not, they gave her the wrong chemotherapy. It was the wrong formulation, and they gave her an adult dose as a five-year-old girl at that time. She had a port in her chest through which the drug was administered. It was this bright red drug, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. It begins to pump into her, and it hadn't been in her for just a couple moments when she suddenly... Begin to just turn bright red and then stark white and swelled up to like double her size, started to vomit and released everything else and then began to have t- tremendous trouble breathing. She was dying right in front of me. She was having an anaphylactic reaction to this wrong chemotherapy and this wrong dose. Now, what, what does a daddy do in that moment? I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to think. I didn't know what to say. I knew that all I had was God. So I laid my hands on Daisy and began to pray in tongues. Out loud, as fast as I could, praying in tongues. That and some Benadryl seemed to help. <laughs> the point is, there are times in life where we, we need to talk to God, but we need help to do it. This is what The gift of tongues is all about. Spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to pray to or praise God in a way that is apart from the mind and in a language that was not previously known by the person. There's a definition. Now, a differentiation. Differentiation. Tongues go up to God from people as enabled by the Spirit. Prophecy, okay, differentiation, juxtaposition, comes down from God to people as revealed by the Spirit. This becomes clear in the text, 1 Corinthians. Let's start reading verse 1. Paul writes and says, Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, spiritual gifts, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Okay, there is the differentiation. Okay, prophecy is to people from God as revealed by the Spirit. The gift of tongues is to God from people as enabled by the Spirit. You got that? It's upward directed, not horizontally or downward. And it involves, it will become clear in the text later on, the gift of tongues involves these things. It involves prayer, praise, singing, giving of thanks. Okay, prayer, such as intercession, praise, singing, and giving of thanks. Those are the elements involved in tongues, directed to God. Okay, people speaking to God, not people speaking to people. Therefore, we want to expect the gift of tongues ever to be employed in evangelism, and it's different from prophecy. It says in Acts chapter 19, verse 6, that after the Ephesian believers received the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. There's a bifurcation there, okay? There's differences in those two gifts. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, they all began to speak in tongues. It was the first gift given to the church. But after they spoke in tongues, it says everyone knew that they were declaring the wonderful works of God, And then they're wondering about it, and then Peter preaches Christ to them, but he does so in the language that everybody knew in that day, Greek. Okay, so tongues isn't used for evangelization, that's for common language, and it's not used for prophecy. That's different. So we have a definition, a differentiation, and now a delineation, and it's this. Prophecy strengthens others and or the church. Tongues strengthens Only the individual using the gift. There's a caveat, but we'll get there in a moment. Let's pick up where we left off in the text, verse 3, and read for a bit. It says, The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. But a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Now, I wish you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets. There's a caveat. We'll deal with it in a moment. What you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Verse six, dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? That's the issue here. How would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes clearly, or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking in an empty space. Verse 10, there are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me, and the same is true for you, since you're so eager to have the special abilities of Spirit gives, spiritual gifts. Seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Okay, there is a delineation. Prophecy strengthens the whole church. Tongues strengthens the individual user, and in that, tongues is unique among all the gifts. The gifts in general are given for the building up of the whole body and that we might serve one another, right? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another. It's for the common good, the building up, the edification of the church. Tongue stands alone and that it is primarily for the strengthening, edification, and benefit of the one who is exercising the gift. It's not given for the sake of others, but for the user. That makes it absolutely unique. Now here's another delineation. If an utterance in tongues is interpreted, as the text said, then it will strengthen others and or the church. Let's hear more about this. Let's keep reading the next few verses, starting in verse 13, where we left off. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, okay, it's prayer language, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying, okay, it's beyond the scope of the mind. Verse 15, well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, tongues involves singing. And I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, it involves praise. How can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks? Tongues involves thanks. When they don't understand what you're saying, you will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Now, it's always a concern in the church that we, we add to the benefit of the whole. Okay, this is a tremendous challenge for us because we are a radically individualistic culture, right? Western individualism is so deeply ingrained in us, we, we can barely see it. We are radically individualistic. But the church is meant to be radically communal, right? Christ calls us one, We are one body under Jesus Christ. The church, properly understood, challenges the deepest core of who we are as Western individuals. Now, we we take that Western individualism, and that's often how we do church. We come to church, and we're concerned about, well, how did it go for me? How was I blessed? What did I receive? How was I built up? How did I enjoy it? What did I get out of it? That was never meant to be how anybody thought about church. It was supposed to be how are we together as the body of Christ being faithful and being built up and enjoying Jesus together. It's supposed to be this communal thing, mutual responsibility. So the concern of the church gathering is always for the whole. How does everybody get built up? You see, the thing about the gift of tongues is it is for the individual unless there is provided an interpretation. Then it can build up the whole. Now, what might an interpretation look like? So let's talk about how this might work out. There might be a gathering of the church and somebody speaks out in tongues in a way that can be heard more or less by everyone else. It's meant to be heard. We're not talking about quietly praying to yourself. We're talking about speaking out loud and everybody hears in the church gathering. That would be a public use of the gift of tongues. Okay, at that time, when we'll get to the details of it in a moment, there would need to be an interpretation. Now, we could have some real clear expectations of what the interpretation would involve. It would involve explicitly now prayer, such as intercession, Praise, exalting God, singing, perhaps, to the Lord, and giving thanks. The interpretation would sound very much like one of the Psalms. But it would be a brand new thing, and it would be from the Holy Spirit, in some way, kind of like the Holy Spirit praising the Godhead, so when the interpretation was given in common language, we would all be tremendously edified, because it would be like this living, vibrant, brand new, Holy Spirit-breathed psalm of praise and thanksgiving and intercession. There would be this sense of mutual edification. We would all say, oh, that's good, and that, that, that builds me up. We would expect that it would never be directed to the church so if somebody spoke in tongues, and it was a public exercise of the gift of tongues, and we all heard it, and we're saying, okay, there should be an interpretation. Now, Lord, give us the interpretation. And either that same person or someone else says, the interpretation is that next week the surf will be really good. Okay, that would not be an interpretation of that tongues. That would be a prophecy thing, I hope. But that wouldn't be tongues, because tongues is prayer, or praise, or singing, Or giving thanks. It's directed to God, not directed to people. It's not a revelation, it is an exaltation of God. So if it came out like a prophecy, we would say, ah, that that's not the interpretation. That may have been a prophecy, that may have been wishful thinking. It may be that you check the reports, but that wasn't the interpretation of the tongues. Okay, there's there's a lot of confusion, but if we would pay careful attention to scripture, we could avoid a lot of confusion within the church. Now, that then requires some demarcation. Here's a demarcation. Okay, we have a definition, a differentiation, a delineation, another delineation, and now a demarcation. Here it is. Tongues is primarily to be used as a private prayer language and should be minimized in the broad public church gathering, such as this. Let's see Paul talk about that in a somewhat... Complicated argument, but nonetheless, it will become clear to us. Let's pick it up in verse 18 where we left off. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Don't you love Paul? Just, I'm so stoked they speak in tongues more than all y'all. Verse 19. This is important. But in a church meeting, okay, in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help Others, common good, mutual edification, communal. Then 10,000 words in an unknown language. You know what Paul is saying there in essence? He's saying, I have the gift of tongues. I I use it more than any of you, but I would pretty much almost never do it in the church gathering. When he puts that 10,000 words in a tongue or five that people could understand and be helped by, that's pretty much a hyperbolic way of saying, I speak in tongues all the time, but I'm not really going to do it in the church gathering. This is kind of not the gig. Now he goes on to explain. Verse 20. He understands it's sensitive. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil. But be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures. This is from Isaiah 28. I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Okay, follow his argument here. It's not easy. but We'll get it. Verse 22. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Verse 23, he says, even so, okay, pause right there. He just said that tongues is a sign for unbelievers and prophecy is a sign for believers. Now he's gonna kind of tease that out and give a little caveat though and show where that starts to fall apart. He says, even so, okay, even in light of that, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language they will think you are crazy. Verse 24. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Now, and you follow his argument. He says, tongues is a sign for unbelievers. But what is it a sign of? If they, all, if they come in and everyone is speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. That experience for them is going to cause them to feel alienated and separate from the gathering of God's people. Think about it. If you walk up to a group of people and they're all speaking in a language you don't speak, it's pretty hard for you to break in and feel like one of the crowd. Right, you walk up and everyone's speaking in French, and you're like, "I know taco burrito." Do you know? I know. And if you don't know it, like you can hang out for a minute, and it's pretty quick where you feel like, "Well, I don't belong." As he said earlier, "I'm a foreigner to you, and you're a foreigner to me." I don't get the language. So Paul is saying it's a sign, not of God's favor for the unbeliever, but of God's judgment, and we are communicating wrongly to them that they don't have any place in the gatherings of, gathering of God's people by being childish and are thinking and saying, oh, let's just all speak in tongues, it's fine. When they come in, they feel like, this is not something I could ever be a part of. And that is not the intention for the gathered church. The gathered church always wants not yet believers to come in and feel like, I might possibly belong. I, I can actually maybe... Get into this God thing here, and then he says that prophecy will reveal the secret of their, the secrets of their hearts. So again, prophecy being the more valuable of the two in the gathering of the church. So, what Paul seems to be doing here is exalting the use of tongues for private prayer. And praise, right? If we were to take a summation of some of the verses. He says this: A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, and I wish because of that you could all speak in tongues. And I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is clearly conveying that he values very highly a private prayer language, the personal exercising of the gift of tongues for exaltation and intercession. He places a high value on that. He wants everyone to be able to do it. It gives you tremendous strength. He thanks God that he can do it. He loves it as a tool for private devotions because tongues really does edify the user. It's a mysterious and wonderful way when you're given the gift of tongues, you begin to speak in tongues. Your faith is stirred. There's a sense of the nearness of God and the power of God and the wonderful mystery of God. that God is doing something that you could never do. And it, it builds you up. It strengthens you in your faith. And Paul is extolling that. He's exalting that. He's saying, that's a wonderful thing. I value that highly. But Paul is very clearly in the text downplaying, not forbidding, but downplaying speaking in tongues in the public church gathering. Why is he doing that? As the text said, The goal of the church gatherings is for all to be edified. And unbelievers may be present and will think we are crazy and feel alienated. You see, there's some unbelievers in our midst right now. And we're not even speaking in tongues. We're just talking about it and they already think we're crazy. We're not. Maybe come back next week. Look what Paul says in the next couple verses, picking it up in verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, and one will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen you all. The goal of the church is mutual edification. And edification and evangelization, okay, not yet believers, in our midst, demand, Paul is saying, intelligible content. They need to be understood and discerned and thought about. And tongues, by themselves, cannot provide that. So, in the corporate setting, Paul valued knowable communication in common language that instructed and strengthened others far above tongues. Again, Paul seems to imply in verse 19, I just would never do it in the public gathering. Rather do five words that people understood than 10,000 that they didn't. So what he does in the text is he limits the use of tongues in the public gathering. Look in verse 27. He says, No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who could interpret then they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. So, he puts limits on it. Number one, no more than two or three in the church gathering. Number two, one at a time. Okay, not multiplicity, not a bunch of people speaking in tongues at the same time. And number three, if it happens at that time, there must be an interpretation. So it is okay if we were to do that in this gathering. And there's some churches that do that on a regular basis. It's just part of their culture, part of their ethos, part of their understanding. They celebrate that and they practice that. That's wonderful. We don't see it that often, sometimes in our midweek stuff. But it's just not part of our culture here. If it happened, it's okay. Right? That, that, That would be normal. But it's also, Paul is saying, okay if it doesn't happen. Tongues does not have to happen in its public usage every time the church gets together. And Paul would actually seem to say, it maybe shouldn't happen that often. But he does say not to forbid it in verse 39, which means this, and I want some of you to hear me on this. It means that there were those in the church in Corinth who rather would have just done away with it, who just felt like, you know what? This thing is too complicated. This thing is too messy. I just, I just, let's just, let's just get rid of it. I want you to remember, church, we do not form theology from bad examples or bad experiences. Right? That is not how we do it. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, praise God if you want to. She's not going to stop until you join in. (laughs) To do so is to be unfaithful. So what Paul seems to be saying is this. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. But by all means, do throw out the bathwater. Now the baby in this instance is the gift of tongues. The bathwater is people in the gathered church doing it all at the same time, more than two or three without any interpretation. Right? His, his answers to the misuse of the gifts is not, hey, stop it. Let, let's put a kibosh on this thing. Rather, it's let's do it better. Let's do it right. Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, but let's do throw out the bathwater and get this thing right. Right? And so he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39 through 40, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. Now, here's why that's possible. Okay, the gift of tongues is subject to the one who is operating in it. In other words, we can choose to speak forth in that tongue or not. Right? Verse 32 of our text says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So it's not as though it's ecstatic or it's like a possession thing where all of a sudden the spirit comes upon you and you just can't control it and you just have to start speaking in tongues. That's not the way that it works. Here's an example for you. You know on Sunday mornings when we're sending out a missionary, a man or a woman or a family, we bring him forward and we all come up and we lay hands on him because that's what we see the church doing in Acts 13. And then I lead us in prayer. Man, that's such a heavy thing to pray for a man or a woman or a family who's going out on the mission field, like giving their life to go see the gospel, go to new places. And I, I don't always know how to pray for them. And, and so because of that, you guys who have been here for a long time have probably noticed, I pretty much always pray the same thing. <laughs> There's some good stuff to pray, but there's something in me that wants to go further and deeper, and I'm always on the verge of praying in tongues when we pray for missionaries. But I don't do it. I hold it back because I know that would not be what would edify everybody at the moment, at least not with the ethos and the culture of our church. It would be more of a distraction. It would be more of a disturbance than it would an edification thing. Right, So I'm able at that time, even though I really want to, because there's more I want to pray. I don't know how to pray for this person. I want to begin to use my prayer language. I'm able to just hold it back. Here, here's a counter example. When I'm praying for someone or with people or worshiping in just a small group of Christians, I will often begin to speak in tongues, praise in tongues, or use my prayer language. Now, at that time, there's no interpretation needed. Why? Well, there's not, it's just a little group of friends praying, so there's not, of Christians, so there's not generally a not-yet-believer present. If there were, I wouldn't do it. And then secondly, it's not the public gathering of the church, it's a group of people getting together to intercede and to praise. And it's perfectly acceptable to employ the gift of tongues at that time and not expect any interpretation. There wasn't an interpretation in Acts chapter 10 in the house of Cornelius when they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And there wasn't an interpretation in Acts chapter 19 with the Ephesian believers when they began to speak in tongues after the, after the Holy Spirit fell upon them. If it's not the public gathering, it doesn't require an interpretation. And we can then begin to do it, realizing that tongues is a really good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not like in the church we need tongues cops who are like, what was that? Was that tongue? Okay, wait, hold, we need an interpret it right now. It's not like it's this bad thing, like someone's trying to sneak in tongues. and ah. It's not a rebellious bad thing. It's a beautiful gift of God and should just be done. Correctly. But we then, since I'm saying my point is getting somewhat away from it, that we can control the exercise of the gift. I can pretty much pray in tongues at will, and I could stop myself even when I want to by discerning the context. We just need to exercise some discernment as a church. For example, let's say a new believer came up to me, brand new Christian, and they're like, Pastor Britt, I just. I want you to pray for me. I'm not really sure if I'm forgiven, and I just don't know if God really loves me because this week I did that, and I don't worry. And, uh, and so this brand-new believer, right, and I'm, I'm going to pray for him. What I'm not going to do is just grab him and blast him with tongues. Just, okay, I got it. I got a hundred, you got a hundred, we got a hundred, we got a hundred, blah. i blah, blah, blah. I'm... I'm not, I'm not going to do that to this new believer. I don't think they know 1 Corinthians 14. They're just brand new. They probably haven't studied tongues. That's probably not going to serve them best in that moment, right? It's probably just going to freak them out. It's, that's not what they need. And more importantly, I know how to pray for that. I know from Scripture how to pray for the person that says, I'm not sure that God loves me anymore. I'm not sure of his forgiveness because of what I did this week. I can handle that in common language. In juxtaposition to that, let's say a seasoned believer comes to me. I know they know 1 Corinthians 14. I know they've studied the Scriptures, and they come to me, and they're like, Pastor Brent, I just need you to pray for me. I'm just really struggling with this deep thing, and oh gosh, it's just... And sometimes people tell me their burdens, and I have no flipping idea what to do with it. Or think about it or say about it. Like people tell me crazy stuff. I'm like, <laughs> and at that moment, I will blast them with tongues. I will grab them, shake them for good measure, and start to pray over them in tongues. Because I don't, I don't know what else to pray. I need the Holy Spirit's help to begin to pray for them. And I know that they can deal with it. They understand tongues, right? They know that the Holy Spirit is praying through me, interceding and blessing God on their behalf, and they will actually be blessed by that, and that will be helpful to them. Now, if then we really want to exercise the gift in the church gathering, we should pray then that we can also interpret the tongue that we give. Verse 13 says that, so anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. The gift of interpretation is the only gift in all the scripture that we're told explicitly to pray for. Okay, we should pray for that gift. So if you feel like, gosh, I'm going to speak in tongues right now in the church, which is kind of a gnarly thing here, right? You're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to let it loose right now. You should pray that you can interpret so that the church will be edified. Or you should maybe know that there's someone who has a gift of interpretation. Or if not, you just feel like, I really got to like, let this thing loose. That, that's okay. That's biblical if it's at the appropriate time. We will trust God that somebody there will interpret And if not, it's not the end of the world. We're going to make mistakes with the spiritual gifts. Okay, nobody's got to be a spiritual gift cop. It's not the end of the world. We'll get through that. That's okay. We'll learn from that. But if we cannot interpret, and we don't know if someone is there who has a gift of interpretation, then look at verse 28. It says this, But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. So it wouldn't be a public thing. Now, intent is everything. Okay, you intend for it to be public if you say it in a way that everybody could hear. You intend for it to be private if you say it at a volume that people might overhear, but it's obviously not intended for them. That would be exercising your private prayer language. It still says, and speak in tongues to God privately. Speaking is verbalization. So you can still use your private prayer language in the church gathering, and someone might overhear. That's okay. It's not meant to be public. The intention is everything, and we shouldn't freak out. So, in summary, tongues is the spirit of a person enabled by the Holy Spirit to communicate to God in a way that is apart from the mind of the person and in a language that is not known by the person. Okay, it may be a human language. It may be an unknown sort of language of angels tongues of angels it is something that is directed to god prayer praise singing giving thanks edifies the individual and so is primarily for private use and if it is intended for the whole church then it can happen in a limited way with interpretation which then edifies the whole church that's what it is now what is it not very quickly it is not for every believer Paul asks rhetorically in chapter 12 verse 30, not all speak in tongues, do they? It's a rhetorical. The answer is no, everybody doesn't speak in tongues. Again in 1 Corinthians 14:5, I wish you could all speak in tongues. His wishing that we all could means we can't all necessarily. 1 Corinthians 12:11, the spirit alone decides which gifts each person should have. We don't all have the same mix of gifts. So it's not given to every believer. Secondly, very importantly, It is not a mandatory sign of spirit baptism. Some of our charismatic brethren whom we love and some of our Pentecostal brethren whom we love would teach that if you get baptized in the spirit, you will always speak in tongues. And I just don't see how scripture bears that out. And I think that it's tenuous at best, teaching on the gift of tongues like that, that causes people to fake it. Because all of a sudden, there's tremendous peer pressure to be able to do it. I experienced that uh, back in 1990. I was in Australia on a surf trip. And um, I had walked way away from the Lord. Someone invited me to a church service, and I, I went. It was a Wednesday night thing. It was at a Pentecostal church. I'm so thankful for them. This is where I rededicated my life to the Lord. They changed The course of my whole life, I went to this Pentecostal church, and next thing I knew, I was on the ground, on my back, and people praying for me and pressuring me to speak in tongues. And man, when when that's going on, when you know God just moved on me like radically, and everyone else is speaking in tongues, and they're telling you, You just got baptized in the Spirit. You need to speak in tongues. And they were telling me stuff like, just wiggle your tongue, just move your mouth, just say a syllable over and over. I, I'm just going to be honest. There was tremendous peer pressure at that moment to fake it. And, and even a blurring, like, what is real? What is not? What is God? And, and was it, what does what it mean? See why do we have to be so careful and faithful to what Scripture says. I don't think the scripture says that it's for every believer and that it's a sure sign of spirit baptism. And I think that that sort of teaching could put tremendous pressure on people, which is why sometimes we see abuse and maybe faking it. Last thing I'll say about that is it's not a sign of the super special or super spiritual. Listen to me very carefully. The only thing that defines you as special And the only thing that has made you spiritually alive is the cross of Jesus Christ. The proof of the love of the Father for you. It is finished. The Father's love for you is perfect. So it's not an issue of he loves someone more so they speak in tongues. And all the gifts are grace gifts, charismata, from the word charis, grace in the Greek. They are all received by grace. So it's not a matter of, well, somebody looks better before God, so they got it. It's not for the super spiritual. Okay, it's not for the super special. Listen to me very carefully on this. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not that we would have gifts. It is that we would have fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, The gifts are the tools. The fruit is the product, the end goal. It is not the Spirit's goal that we just have a bunch of gifts. It is the Spirit's goal that we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is our love for one another. Who is truly moving in the spirit? Who is the woman full of the Holy Ghost, man full of the Holy Ghost? The ones who are exuding the love of Christ. That is the product. There we go. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13:1, Paul says, if I speak, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about that. When Paul says, I have become, it means that my action of speaking in tongues without love has left a permanent effect on me that has diminished my value and transformed me into something I should not be. Just stuck in the tools, not walking in the fruit. So here's where we end. The question becomes, okay, I heard what it is. I heard what it isn't. Do I want it? Well, a common and faithful prayer for us is this. Father, I want everything that you have for me. Nothing more and nothing less. And we can trust him with that prayer. But I want to submit to you what Wayne Grudem says about this. He says, since it is a gift Paul views as edifying and useful in prayer and worship, on a personal level, even if not in church, it would not be surprising if the Holy Spirit gave a very widespread distribution of this gift and many Christians, in fact, received it. I think that's true. I think that the Spirit is wanting to enable more of us to pray in tongues than are. Just like I said last week, I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to, for more of us to move in the gift of prophecy and in prophetic things. Than are. I think he wants to do that because these are very, very good gifts. Now, if you hear all this and you say, I don't, I don't really want it. That's okay. If you don't want it, then it it very well may not be something that God has for you at this moment in your life. That's all right. You may not need it. You may not need that personal edification. Your father knows you and he loves you. He knows what you need. Just be sure that you're not wanting it, that you're letting your thoughts about it be formed by Scripture and not experience, okay? Just be sure that you're not unnecessarily disparaging the gift because of the abuses you've seen of it. Remember, we do not form theology from bad examples and bad experiences, but from the good Word of God. And scripture says it's a good and worthy gift of desiring, but it's not that big of a deal. Now, if you do want the gift, that's good. It may be that you need it at this moment in your life. The Father knows you. He knows just what you need as His child at this moment in your life. Just be sure that you're thinking about it biblically and not elevating it because it's cool or mysterious or creepy. I know I'm like that. I have those tendencies. Just be sure that we're thinking about it biblically and for the glory of Jesus Christ not just out of some fleshly curiosity. Here's when you should want the gift. You should want the gift of tongues, a prayer language. If you feel that there are times when you have prayers, songs, praise, and thanksgiving that are beyond your ability to think or convey, that there's a burden of the soul that you can't even get straight in your thoughts and you could never find words for, in glory of Jesus Christ, Then you ought to want that gift. So, how does that happen? Well, you just ask for it. It's like everything else. You just ask the Father for it, and you ask Him in an attitude of trust, trusting that He can give it, and trusting Him if He doesn't give it to you, so that you don't go away sad. Like today, many of you ask for the gift of tongues. Some of you get it, some of you won't. You got to trust your Father. If you don't get it, don't go away sad. Trust your Father. He knows what's best for you at this moment in your life. But that doesn't mean that you cannot ask repeatedly. You can ask repeatedly. God always welcomes importunity and persistence in prayer. We can ask over and over again because it might be that right now is not the right time, but later is the right time. My story is that I had asked for the gift of tongues for years. I had had lots of people pray for me to get the gift of tongues. I had asked for it several times. I was seeking it, and then back about the year 2000 when uh, Reality was a college ministry at Calvary Chapel San Barbara, I was teaching on a Friday night about the gift of tongues. And I told everyone, I was like, I don't have the gift. I've asked for it many times. But here's what the Bible says. Here it is. And then afterwards, during the second set of worship, I just went down on the carpet to just worship as I often do on Sundays. And this little Asian guy named Paul Sanaco came up to me. And he put his hand on my back as I was worshiping. He just said, hey, Brett, I really think God wants to give you the gift of tongues? I was like, No, oh, I've asked a million times. He's like, no, I think he does now. I was like, okay. So he's like, well, let me pray for you. And he started to pray for me. I didn't feel anything, but he just prayed a really simple prayer. Just something like, Lord, I just ask you to give Britt the gift of tongues. You know if he needs it, you know what's best for him. I know he wants it, so I just ask you to give it to him. And then he just walked away. And then all of a sudden, as I was sitting there worshiping, I felt some burden of the soul, something well up deep from within me, a new sense of praise and thanksgiving and prayer that I didn't have thoughts or words for. And suddenly, there came into my mind syllables, sounds. Okay, that's how language works, right? If I, I, before I say it, I, I, I hear in my mind, surfing, right? And then, and then I have the choice whether or not to say it. Tongues works just like human language. We we suddenly hear something that that doesn't make any sense to us. We, We don't know that language, and then we have the choice to speak it out or not. And it was just this sense of I just wanted to praise God in a way I never had before, and I heard these syllables, just a few, and I started to say them. And you know what? It wasn't a big deal. I didn't stand up and be like, I got it! Check it out! Nothing like that. Just on the carpet, in the front, by myself, but I was edified. I was strengthened I was built up my lovingly Heavenly Father knew that at that moment that was something that was good for me and he gave it to me now as I said I started with just a few syllables as I said previously none of the gifts are given in their mature state they're all given in a way that needs to be grown in okay you're not given the gift of teaching you're the best teacher in the world no you got to grow in that okay all the gifts have to be grown in. It's the same with tongues. It's kind of like human language, right? You start out with mama, dada. And then you gather a few more syllables and a few more words. And when I first started praying in tongues, it was just a few syllables. And now it's like, nah, I'm not that good, like maybe a few sentences, right? But it's got to be grown in like any other spiritual gift. And there's times where I haven't used the gifts after, or that gift after my daughter died I didn't, or before and after I didn't pray in tongues, For a long time, I don't know what was going on in my soul. I just didn't go there. It's recently been rekindled and revitalized in my life, and it's strengthening and blessing me. So here's the point. Your father loves you, and he has good things for you. And he knows just what you need at this moment in your life. What is the season of your life? Do you want it? Do you need it? Do you need to rekindle it? Do you need to rethink it? The Father loves you, and he has good things for you, and you can trust him in what he gives and what he withholds. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for teaching us about this, Lord. Thank you for your kindness toward us, Father, and that you want to give your children good things. Lord, as we've prayed in the previous weeks, we... We ask for faith now to believe you for these things and to trust you for these things. And Lord, we don't even know our own hearts. Our hearts are so messed up. They're so strange. We just come before you and say, Abba, Father, you know who we are. You know the season of our lives. You know what we need. Just teach us to be open-handed before you as children and to come to you expecting good things. We ask it in Jesus' name.